Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Boris Johnson caught lying down in car to avoid being seen as pressure mounts over lockdown parties. Prime Minister Boris Johnson was reportedly lying down in the back of a Range Rover leaving Downing Street to avoid photographers getting pictures of him this morning, reports Good Morning Britain. This comes as pressure mounts for the PM to resign over a lockdown busting Bring Your Own Booze Biob party on 20 May, 2020, revealed by ITV News in an email sent to nearly 100 people by the PM's private secretary Martin Reynolds. Less than an hour before the drinks, which up to 40 people reportedly attended, then Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden reminded the rest of England they must only meet in pairs outdoors in the daily press conference. The PM is known for using unusual tactics to avoid the press, like hiding in a fridge just before the 2019 general election to avoid a grilling by GMB presenters Piers Morgan and Susanna Reid Downing Street previously insisted the party was a work meeting which has led to cries the government tried to cover up the gathering. Speaking at 8.08am today, Wednesday, 12 January, GMB's correspondent outside number 10 said, The Prime Minister was in the car this morning, we understand, but yet, the photographers couldn't see him in the car, so it implies according to them he was somehow lying down in the back of the vehicle. We spoke to one of the police officers this morning and they said they don't do dummy runs, so the Prime Minister was in the car but clearly keeping his head down. Reacting to the PM's attempts to hide, Twitter users shared their disgust and joined calls for the PM to resign. One user said, Boris Johnson reportedly lying down in the back of his car hiding from the cameras, that man has reached a new low. Games up Boris it's time to face up to what you did and finally go. Susanna Tarbush said, Boris Johnson accused not only of lying, but of lying down on the back of his official car in motorcade so as to evade zoom lenses of photographers. Another user said, Johnson lying down in the back of his car this morning to avoid photographs, not a good look is it Boris Johnson. No fridges available then. Another added, leaving by the back gate lying down in his Range Rover. Boris Johnson, what a coward and what a horrific look for a PM. Maybe he's going to Buckingham Palace to resign, one can only hope and pray. Resign now. The PM is expected to face tough questions from Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer during Prime Minister's questions. Prince Andrew Buckingham Palace responds as Royal loses bid to block Virginia Gayou for a sex abuse lawsuit. Buckingham Palace have refused to comment on a judge's ruling to allow Virginia Gayou for a sexual abuse lawsuit against Prince Andrew to proceed. Judge Lewis Kaplan dismissed Andrew's bid to have Ms Gayou for a civil case thrown out in a judgment issued on Wednesday. A Palace spokesperson told The Independent. We would not comment on what is an ongoing legal matter. The ruling clears way for Ms. Gaiufra's attorneys to move into a discovery phase of the trial, causing more embarrassment for Prince Andrew and the royal family. 
Ms. Gayouf alleges that Jeffrey Epstein forced her to have sex with his friends, including the Duke, and that Andrew was aware she was only 17 at the time. She is suing Prince Andrew for battery and infliction of emotional distress. Andrew, 61, strongly denies the allegations. In oral arguments held in New York last week, Andrew's attorney Andrew Brettler claimed a 2009 settlement agreement between Epstein and Ms. Gaiufra should shield the royal from legal liability. In his ruling, Judge Kaplan said a key phrase Andrew's lawyers relied upon, that other potential defendants were covered by the settlement deal, did not cover the royal. The 2009 cannot be said to demonstrate, clearly and unambiguously, that the parties intended the instrument directly, primarily, or substantially to benefit Prince Andrew Judge Kaplan said. Prince Andrew now faces the prospect of having years of private records forensically poured over, having to sit for a deposition under oath, and having other members of the royal family and police protection called on to provide testimony. Judge Kaplan has indicated a trial could be held in New York in late 2022. Ms. Gaiouf alleges she was trafficked by Epstein and ordered to have sex with Prince Andrew on three occasions in London, Manhattan and on Epstein's private island Little St. James in the U.S. Virgin Islands, when she was 17. How accurate are lateral flow tests? As a result of the rapidly spreading Omicron variant, COVID case numbers have continued to rise across the UK in record numbers, with 120,821 new cases reported in the last 24 hours. Now, the Prime Minister is reportedly set to scrap free lateral flow tests amid plans to limit them to high-risk settings, such as schools, care homes and hospitals. While lateral flow tests are still available for free on the government website and able to be picked up from pharmacies, how accurate are these at-home tests in determining whether or not you have COVID? According to a meta-analysis of studies by medical database the Cochrane Library, lateral flow tests detect an average of 72% of symptomatic cases and 58% of asymptomatic ones which could be the reason why you're testing positive one minute and negative the next. Michael Head, Senior Research Fellow in Global Health at the University of Southampton says, lateral flow tests are very good at producing a positive result when you are infectious, and so able to transmit the virus. This can include the day or two before symptoms develop. Thus, they are a very good first line of inquiry to be followed up with confirmation via the more sensitive PCR test. A study published in the Clinical Epidemiology Journal in October from researchers at University College London, Liverpool University, Harvard University and the University of Bath found that lateral flow tests are more than 80% effective at detecting any level of COVID-19 infection or are more than 90% effective at detecting COVID when people are at their most infectious. A study from UXA published on Friday 17 December found that lateral flow tests are as effective at detecting the Omicron strain of the virus as they are the Delta which means whatever strain you may have the test should be able to pick up that it's COVID.
a Cochrane review of 64 studies found that lateral flow tests correctly identify 72% of infected people who have symptoms, and 78% within the first week of becoming ill GP Dr. Gary Bartlett says. What I often tell my patients is that lateral flow tests are really useful for asymptomatic screening, testing when you have no symptoms. If you have symptoms suggestive of COVID then you must get a PCR test which are the gold standard test for COVID as they are better at detecting COVID. If you have COVID symptoms, lateral flows are less reliable as they can be associated with false negatives often leading the person to believe that they don't have COVID when in fact they do. Head adds, false positive results will happen in a fraction of a percent of occasions, but false negatives i.e. a negative result when in fact you do have COVID-19, are more common. Therefore, if you have COVID-like symptoms but test negative on a lateral flow, it is a good idea to book in for a PCR test. What is the correct way to take a lateral flow test? Hussein Abdet, Clinical Director and Superintendent Pharmacist at Medicine Direct says, if you can. You should avoid eating and drinking anything for at least half an hour before you take a lateral flow test. Similarly, do not smoke or vape for as long he continues. Make sure the surface you are taking the test on is disinfected and make sure the kit is not damaged when you take it out of the box. Wash or sanitize your hands before handling any of the apparatus. Blow your nose then wash your hands again before starting. Bill Mayer warns January 2025 will be a good time to leave the country as he predicts Trump definitely runs. HBO real-time host Bill Mayer is ringing alarm bells ahead of former President Donald Trump's presumed run for re-election in 2024, telling his audience that early 2025 might be a good time to consider leaving the country. During his Saturday night show, Mr. Mayer spoke with AL.com's Ben Flanagan about national affairs when the topic of Mr. Trump was raised. During the discussion, Mr. Flanagan asked Mr. Mayer about a question he had recently raised, what happens on 20 January, 2025, when Trump shows up despite election results that say otherwise. Mr. Flanagan asked the host do you think democracy is really in trouble? First of all, he is definitely going to run. He's definitely going to get the nomination. And he's definitely not going to concede. He hasn't conceded this election Mr. Mayer said. Mr. Mayer suggested that, unlike in 2020, Mr. Trump will have people in place who will back him up. That's what he didn't have in 2020. He thought he did. He thought anyone who had an R by their name would be on his side he said. He didn't count on the fact that there were Republicans with integrity, who told him I'm sorry, sir. We looked and we looked and we looked, and you did not win this election. He's replacing those people. That's what they're doing. The television host posited a potential 2024 scenario in which Mr. Trump loses the election but once again asks loyal Republican officials to find the votes needed to flip the election. 
He believes that, unlike 2020, those officials would comply and presumably suppress or throw out enough votes to secure a victory for Mr. Trump. He's not going to go away as easily as he did in 2020 next time. And that's why January 2025 is going to be where the rubber hits the road in this country. We've been heading towards this cliff for a very long time, and we always think we're the country where it can't happen, he said. Well, we thought that about terrorism. We thought that about everything. We're not exempt. We are the country where it can happen. And when you have two claimants to the throne, I don't know what happens. He went on to say that if you want to pick a time to take a vacation out of the country, that would be a good time to do it. Mr. Mayer's prediction relies on several assumptions, chief among them that Mr. Trump would actually lose the 2024 election. Mr. Trump is still far and away the most popular potential presidential candidate among Republican voters with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis the closest second. A recent Politico Morning Consult poll found that 69% of Republican respondents wanted Mr. Trump to run for office again. Though Mr. Trump has teased a potential run, he has not officially announced his candidacy. While Mr. Trump would presumably run against Joe Biden in a second presidential run, it is also unclear if Mr. Biden will seek re-election. Mr. Biden, already the nation's oldest president, by 2024 would be seeking re-election as an 81-year-old. If Mr. Biden were to choose not to run, Vice President Kamala Harris is expected to run her own campaign for the presidency. A Harvard Forward slash Harris X poll conducted between the 30th of November and the 2nd of December found that in a hypothetical matchup between Mr. Trump and Ms. Harris, the Democratic vice president would likely lose. Mr. Trump received 50% of support, with Ms. Harris only receiving 41%. 9% said they were unsure. Further muddling Mr. Mayer's predictions is the outcome of the 2022 midterm elections, which could and likely will sway the balance of power in Congress. Thailand to introduce tourist tax from April. Thailand is planning to charge each tourist a 300 baht, £6.60, fee from April onwards, senior officials said on Wednesday. The proposed tax which is part of the government's sustainable tourism plans, would go towards developing attractions and covering health insurance for foreigners unable to pay costs. Part of the fee will be used to take care of tourists the Governor of Tourism Authority of Thailand, Yathes Aksupaisorn, told Reuters. We've encountered times when insurance didn't have coverage for tourists, which became our burden to take care of them. He also said that the money would go towards preserving and improving tourist sites. Thailand currently has strict travel rules in place for tourists due to the pandemic, including requiring them to apply for certain tourist schemes and passes, hotel-based quarantine in specific locations such as Bangkok and Phuket, and proof of COVID health insurance cover worth at least $50,000. 
Government spokesperson Thanakan Wangboon Kongshina said that the new charge would be priced in with airline tickets. He predicted that tourism could boost the economy by 800 BN Thai baht, $23.97 billion, this year. Thailand recently suspended its test and go scheme, which enabled tourists to swerve quarantine with PCR tests at the start of their trip. However, Several sandbox schemes remain, with visitors who meet the vaccination and testing criteria able to quarantine in certain hotels for seven days before exploring the country further. On Tuesday, Thailand extended the sandbox schemes to three further locations, Krabi, Fanga and Surat Thani. Tourist taxes are nothing new, with Bhutan actively combating mass tourism with a $2.50 a day per person tax, while Croatia charges 10 kuna, £1.20, per person per night, with tourist cash distributed between cities, counties, the National Croatian Tourist Board, HTZ, and the Red Cross. Meanwhile, Venice, which has suffered from over-tourism in recent years, is planning to charge visitors between 3 euros and 10 euros per visit, depending on whether they arrive in high or low season. Arrest made over murder of British family and French cyclist in Alps in 2012. A man has been arrested in connection with the unsolved murder of three British family members and a French cyclist in the French Alps in 2012. Saad Al-Hili, an engineer, his wife Iqbal and her mother, Suhaila Alalif, were gunned down on a forest road in Chevelin, near Lake Anessi. The couple's two young daughters survived the attack. A local cyclist, Sylvain Mollier, also died after being shot at point-blank range. No one has ever been charged over the attack. Judicial sources told French media that an unidentified man had been taken into custody and his home searched. The man's movements and whereabouts on the day of the murders, as well as the days before and after, were being verified. Line Bonnet, the public prosecutor in Annecy, said in a statement that a person had been arrested shortly after 8 a.m. on Wednesday by police based in Chambery adding that more details would be released later but that the investigation was covered by judicial secrecy laws. BFM TV said the suspect was a married man who had been questioned before as a witness. The arrest follows a detailed recreation of events by gendarmes on the ninth anniversary of the murders in September. Hilly's then seven-year-old daughter Zainab was pistol-whipped during the attack which police believe was a result of the killer running out of ammunition. Her sister Zena, then four, hid in the footwell of the vehicle during the attack. Almost a decade after the killings, French and British police have so far failed to make any real progress in the case despite a massive effort involving officers on both sides of the channel. Cash Machine Ram Raiders target post office and co-op store. Ram Raiders used a JCB low loader to smash into a post office and steal a cash machine in one of four ATM raids being treated by police as linked. Photographs show the crumpled roller shutters of Old Walsocken post office near Wisbech in Cambridgeshire after the vehicle ripped them away in the early hours of Wednesday. 
the front of the branch was torn away, with rubble strewn across the pavement and shelves of fizzy drinks visible from the street. Cambridgeshire police said officers were called to the post office in Kirkgate Street just before 1am on Wednesday. The suspects had already left the scene with an ATM. At 4.18am the force was called to another cash machine theft in progress at a co-op store 27 miles away in Yorksley, near Peterborough. The suspects rammed a police car as they made off and an officer received minor injuries, police said. The force said the two incidents are believed to be linked to each other, and to two other ATM thefts from last week at NYSA in Chatteris and a co-op store in Cambridge. A post office spokesperson said it will be working closely with the postmaster of the Old Walsocken branch to restore service as soon as possible. They added, this type of crime is very traumatic for the retailer and we will be supporting the police in their efforts. Anyone with information is asked to call Cambridgeshire Police on 101. Cannabis could prevent COVID, study claims. The next breakthrough in stopping COVID-19 may come not from Big Pharma, but from the humble pot plant. Researchers in Oregon in the U.S. discovered that two compounds found in the devil's lettuce can stop the virus in its tracks. Rather than attempting to smoke their way to immunity, a team of scientists at the University of Oregon isolated two compounds from hemp cannabigerolic acid, CBGA, and cannabidiolic acid. CBDA, and found that they bind to the coronavirus spike protein and in turn prevent it from binding to the outer membrane of human cells. This latter binding process is normally how the virus enters the human lungs and other organs. The two compounds are precursors to CBG and CBD, which are widely legal and available to consumers. CBG and CBD cannabis oils and extracts are commonly used to treat anxiety, sleep disorders, epilepsy, and a wide range of other ailments. CBGA and CBDA are not controlled substances like THC, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, and have a good safety profile in humans said Richard Van Bremen, a researcher with Oregon State's Global Hemp Innovation Center. Van Bremen added that these compounds can be taken orally and have the potential to prevent as well as treat infection by the coronavirus. Van Bremen and his team published their research in the Journal of Nature Products on Tuesday. However, they have a long way to go before doctors begin writing hemp oil prescriptions en masse. While the study found CBGA and CBDA effective against both the alpha and beta variants of the coronavirus, it was carried out on human cells in a laboratory, rather than actual human test subjects. Still, the scientist sees these hemp compounds eventually being used alongside vaccines to create a much more challenging environment for COVID-19. One of the main criticisms of the current crop of vaccines is that they use the original spike protein of the virus as an antigen, meaning that when variants emerge with new spike protein mutations, they are more likely to evade the protection offered by the vaccine. These variants are well known for evading antibodies against early lineage, COVID-19, 
which is obviously concerning given that current vaccination strategies rely on the early lineage spike protein as an antigen said Van Bremen. Our data show CBDA and CBGA are effective against the two variants we looked at, and we hope that trend will extend to other existing and future variants. North Korea's way of fighting fertilizer shortage raises eyebrows. North Korea has been encouraging citizens to use their own excrement to make manure, as the agriculture sector struggles with a shortage of fertilizer for crops, media reports claim. According to a daily NK report, the entire country is being mobilized for manure production. The report, citing a source in North Hamjiong province, claimed residents had started producing fertilizer from human waste to fill the quotas of manure production, introduced by Pyongyang last week. The quotas range from 150 kilograms of manure for household to 500 kilograms for a state factory worker. Authorities even cut food market hours in January, which now work 3 to 5 in the afternoon instead of 2 to 5 so that people have an extra hour to produce manure. North Korea is suffering from a shortage of agricultural manure used as a substitute for crop fertilizer. The country used to buy the manure from China and South Korea, but Chinese imports were blocked after North Korea closed its borders due to the COVID-19 pandemic in January 2020. In March 2021, Pyongyang also refused manure deliveries from South Korea to underline its demand for an end to US and UN sanctions. Now securing enough manure is considered the country's number one struggle for 2022, reports state. Fertilizer made from human excrement is not entirely out of the ordinary for North Korea. Radio Free Asia reported earlier this year that farmers were asked to contribute two litres of their urine each day to help produce compost. Still, it may be difficult to count too much on homemade manure the country is severely short on food amid typhoons and the pandemic-induced border closure. Poor harvests combined with almost no deliveries from the outside led the nation's leader, Kim Jor's UN to admit last summer that the situation with food in North Korea was tense. In October, a Reuters report citing analysts and a United Nations expert claimed the food crisis remained dire following poor harvests, and there were also reports of increased shipments of humanitarian aid from China. Smash and grab squads, how U.S. looting rings organize online as police are defunded. It looked like chaos when groups of young people dashed from cars into the Louis Vuitton store in San Francisco's Union Square and ran off with luxury purses, bags, and designer wear. A few days later, about 80 people stormed through a Walnut Creek mall, stealing expensive items before fleeing. At L.S. Grove Shopping Mall not long after, a smaller group used sledgehammers on a Nordstrom. But California ATTY General Rob Bonta said the group crimes are rooted in a kind of organized crime. Those dashing into the stores are mostly foot soldiers for others calling the shots from a safe distance.
so begins an LA Times story about events that are happening around the US that are being called smash and grabs. According to Bonta, these are not independent looters but organized criminals, coordinated by crime bosses through social media where the foot soldiers are guided to the most profitable and vulnerable stores and the most easily fenced and profitable products. Bonta says it is going to take a new organized strategy to stop such organized criminal activity, but many critics are saying that such a strategy once existed in the form of something called police departments that have been defunded in places like L.A. Bonta, himself, helped organize the police the police movement in California. Appointed by California Governor Gavin Newsom in April, 2021. Bonta was noted by Politico as having routinely been at odds with law enforcement. He was celebrated as a groundbreaking pick by those in California who wanted to defund police departments back in 2020. During his tenure, many criminals have been given get-out-of-jail-free cards to reduce prison populations during the pandemic, while jail or bail was also eliminated for suspects awaiting trial. Last spring, Politico stated, Bonta enters as one of the nation's most liberal attorneys general and has repeatedly spoken about a lack of trust between law enforcement and the communities they police. His ascension comes as reform-minded prosecutors have come to power around California and the country and ignited a fierce battle with law enforcement. Bonta is allied with those prosecutors. Snap and Grab According to police, the most popular app used to organize flash mobs for smash-and-grab raids is Snapchat, though Snap Incorporated says they have found no evidence that their app is being used for that purpose, and promoting harm via Snapchat would be a violation of its terms of service. As noted in the video, these criminals have obvious experience getting in and out, including, the video suggests, Recent experience getting out of jail free en masse only to go on to commit mass crimes. An example of the tightness of the organization of these crimes is how the 80 plus people who overran the Nordstrom store and a mall in the Bay Area stole a hundred grand in merchandise and escaped within one minute, using 25 different cars with license plates that were covered or removed. 20 to 40 people were involved in the Louis Vuitton incident, though only five were arrested. This isn't the godfather by any stretch said Steve Wagstaff, the San Mateo County, California district attorney tackling organized retail theft. It's the modern version of hey, there's a party tonight and suddenly you have 100 kids showing up. An attorney representing one of the suspects said. This isn't like an organized thing where everyone knows each other. The way it works is that, someone posts a target and a time on social media. Then a flash mob of loosely organized thieves shows up to steal the loot. Beyond that, officials are keeping details about how the criminals find each other on social media quiet so as not to help others join the mobs. The law enforcement officer who pointed out the use of Snapchat did speculate that some who use it for their crimes may favor that app because its posts disappear for good within seconds. 
similar crime sprees have been happening in the defunded cities of Chicago and Minneapolis, and Bay Area police say crimes of this type first emerged during the Minneapolis George Floyd riots when 70 new cars were stolen from a San Leandro, California Dodge dealership on 31 May 2020. Law enforcement is now keeping a much more watchful eye on social media. Some liberal Democrats have changed their mind on defunding, and now accept that it, and letting prisoners out early, has helped fuel crime. But other prominent politicians don't even believe these kinds of crimes are happening. The San Francisco Crime Scene San Francisco Mayor London Breed is one of those Democrats finally getting the connection between these smash-and-grabs and defunding police departments and recently put the message in no uncertain terms. Breed is one of several liberal city mayors finally addressing the elephant in the progressive room, although it did take 18 months of skirrocketing crime in this sanctuary city to get her there. San Francisco's Public Policy Institute of California reports that crime in that city is up 17% in 2021, particularly homicides and property crime. That is, however, only a return to pre-pandemic levels, because 2020 saw a drop in crime statistics in California's largest cities. The abnormality of the pandemic and the riots of 2020 in some of these big cities, which should have shot statistics up, alongside the choice not to prosecute many crimes during those riots and even not to arrest, which should have brought statistics down, all make it difficult to learn anything solid from these numbers. However, Fox News in San Diego, one of the cities described in these statistics, notes the odd alignment of opinion in California that has formed between conservatives and liberal politicians like Breed who are facing angry citizens, indicating the statistics alone are not telling the full story of how bad things are. Conservative voices in the state have been quick to argue that criminal justice reforms that reduced penalties for certain offenses have emboldened criminals. California's left-leaning Democrats have also toughened their rhetoric around recent brazen retail thefts. Video from a looted Louis Vuitton store showed criminals casually walking out with their stolen merchandise. Also belying the statistics, stores in San Francisco's Union Square have boarded up their display windows, potentially damaging as that may be to sales. Medical statistics may tell the story of the city's degradation better than distorted crime numbers, its rampaging drug scene brought three times more deaths last year than COVID-19. The transformation of a few liberal politicians, like Breed, has not gone unnoticed by citizens who identify as liberals. After the looting of Louis Vuitton, even San Francisco the Chisabudan, who had called for open-air drug use and drug sales in the city on the basis that drugs are a victimless crime was forced to say, I'm outraged by the looting in Union Square last night, we are seeing similar crimes across the country. However, one of the reasons California crime stats dropped was that crimes like drug use were virtually decriminalized by people like Budin while crimes like theft saw the bar raised on the value of merchandise stolen to be considered a crime. 
Fox News reported, a 2014 referendum, Prop 47, raised the dollar amount for how much merchandise had to be stolen, for shoplifting to be considered a felony. After Prop 47 passed, theft of commercial merchandise under $950 became only a misdemeanor. Critics of the proposition argue the lack of consequences gives thieves an incentive to steal. The same critics have also complained District Attorney Budin has turned a blind eye to prosecuting retail shoplifters. The LA Times explained, the rash of crimes has generated debates not only over how to combat them but over criminal justice reforms that California has undertaken which some police officials blame for an increase in some crimes. Responding to criticism that social justice reforms including Proposition 47 have fueled shoplifting by reducing its consequences, Bonta said these crimes are organized thefts that are felonies and that in the smash-and-grab incidents the suspects blew through the $950 threshold for a felony in a few seconds. Dallas defunded and refunded the same trend has happened in other large U.S. cities, as the New York Times has reported, defund, reclaim, reinvest, about two dozen people called out from the darkened Dallas street. A few weeks later, the police chief resigned over her handling of large-scale protests. Then the city council voted to cut how much money the department could use on overtime and hiring new officers. A year on from all that, where are these cities at now? Simply put, having seen the resulting spikes in crime, the money is returning. In cities across America, police departments are getting their money back. From New York to Los Angeles, departments that saw their funding targeted amid nationwide protests over the killing of George Floyd last year have watched as local leaders voted for increases in police spending with an additional $200 million allocated to the New York Police Department and a 3% boost given to the Los Angeles force. In many cases, the same leaders who voted to remove funding are rushing to replace it. In others, the leaders who made the cuts have themselves been replaced. The abrupt reversals have come in response to rising levels of crime in major cities last year. The exodus of officers from departments large and small and political pressures. After slashing police spending last year, Austin restored the department's budget and raised it to new heights. Likewise in Dallas, where the contrast between then and now could not be starker. Democratic Mayor Eric Johnson not only proposed to restore money to the department but moved to increase the number of officers on the street writing over the summer that Dallas needs more police officers. Dallas stands out for the amount of investment that the local government is putting into the department said Laura Cooper, the executive director of the major city's chiefs association. The NYT notes that no protests followed the Dallas government's rapid shift to not only to restore but to increase police funding. To combat a 25% increase in homicides, Dallas also chose to go back to an old-school approach that worked, known as hotspot policing. If statistics can be trusted, it's working once again, 
with violent crime already back down 6%. Hotspot policing has often been accused as being racist because it focuses on areas experiencing the most crime, which frequently overlap with majority black neighborhoods, but Dallas's mayor disagrees. As an African-American male who came of age in the 1990s, I remember a lot of people whose lives were devastated by violence Mr. Johnson said in an interview. I don't want to go back there. The rich, once anti-guns, are now arming themselves. A crime wave sparked by defunding around Beverly Hills has resulted in the area's traditionally anti-gun residents deciding to arm themselves after all. I've always been anti-gun said Debbie Mizray of Beverly Hills. But I am right now in the process of getting myself shooting lessons because I now understand that there may be a need for me to know how to defend myself and my family. We're living in fear. Beverly Hills has been targeted. After her neighbor's home was firebombed with Molotov cocktails, Ms. Ray and her neighbors decided to arm up, at least until the police could arrive back in their precincts. It's gotten to a point where residents feel insecure even going from their door to their car another resident, Shirley Reitman, said. A lot of residents are applying for a concealed carry weapon permit, even though that's a great challenge in LA County. In fact, applications for concealed carry permits at the LA County Sheriff's Department have skyrocketed, with approved applications having gone up more than 1,000%. Even hardcore leftist Democrats who said to me in the past, I'll never own a gun, are calling me asking about firearms Joel Glucksman, a private security executive, told a reporter. The trend has since increased after a well-known black philanthropist, Jacqueline Avant, 81, was murdered in a home robbery. I don't ever remember crime being so high an entertainment writer, who asked to remain anonymous said. We used to leave our doors unlocked. I would leave my keys in the car with the door unlocked. Not anymore. We're seeing not just burglaries but also robberies. We are seeing emboldened gang members and criminals holding guns to people's heads. People are afraid to wear their wedding band. They're afraid to wear a watch. They're afraid to carry not just an expensive bag but any name-brand bag. It is apparently easier to stand against the right to own guns to defend yourselves when the people needing defending are not you and your neighbors. My industry is filled with progressives who have the luxury of being idealists and espousing philosophies they thought would never come back and bite them said the entertainment writer, who is in her early 60s. There's a shift now that it's become so much more dangerous. Beverly Hill residents are paying private security firms to make up for the lack of police and to help with self-defense. The understaffed Beverly Hills Police Department is now hiring five new officers, but that will not make up for the 500. The surrounding lap is down since it was defunded, although, there too, this cut has quickly been reversed. Beverly Hills has hired its own force, run by private security executive Bryce Eddy, to combat the adjacent big city's crime spillover. The police were overwhelmed said Eddy.
In October 2020, we were out there with 22 vehicles and 40 armed guys per shift. 80 armed guys a day. We reduced crime by almost 40%. They kept us on until January. After we left, crime spiked back up 90%. Eddie and his men are now back on the streets, while there is a bipartisan recall campaign underway to remove Lars District Attorney Budin, who championed the cut of $150 million to the police department's budget. The defund the cops campaign has been a painful lesson for a lot of people, and the ramifications are not over yet. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.